everyone to the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, a Prairie Proud Wrestling Podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco. Now, currently, if you're listening to this, I'm still probably in British Columbia, but I wanted to make sure that I had something to share with the listeners of the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast. So I figured with SummerSlam right around the corner, and in the same vein as the sort of lead up to WrestleMania, I figured what better time than now to do the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast Top 10 Favorite SummerSlam Matches. So it's sort of the same same deal as the WrestleMania ones. It's not necessarily the 10 best matches or the 10 best worked ones, but it is the 10 that I enjoy the most. And I mean, just like with WrestleMania, you can definitely tell where I checked out of watching wrestling. Um, but there's still some really entertaining matches on here and definitely ones that it might, uh, might spur you to go back and rewatch some of them just to kind of relive through it. So I know when I was younger, uh, I'm talking like elementary school aged when I would came home at the end of the year with a good report card, the, the sort of, you know, thing I would, I, my parents would always, you know, be like, you've come home with a good report card we'll rent SummerSlam for you. So I remember watching like 92 to 94 SummerSlams, the the Wembley Stadium one, and I remember watching that and just being devastated that Brett lost the Intercontinental title to Bulldog. And then, I like, I, I remember that one vividly because um, it had, you know, Macho Man and Warrior, if I'm not mistaken, and Warrior won by Countout, I think it was. I think that was the match. So remember that sort of thing. And then for some reason, I remember Legion of Doom and Rocco, but I could be way off base with that one. It could be one of the other outdoor pay-per-views, but nonetheless, you know, 92, I remember watching 93. I remember watching that one as well. And I think that was the one with Lex versus Yokozuna made in the USA, Lex Luger versus Yokozuna. And then 94 was Undertaker versus Undertaker. So after that, you know, the interest kind of wavered a little bit and did not go out of my way to watch King Mabel versus Diesel. But uh, I do remember do remember those early ones. So needless to say, without further ado, here's the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast Top 10 Favorite SummerSlam Matches. Coming in at number 10, I just talked about it, SummerSlam 1994, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart for the WWF Championship in a steel cage. Now, this was the old style steel cage. And I mean, if they were to do a retro Raw or retro-esque pay-per-view and they brought back that blue cage, I would check in immediately because I thought it was something that definitely uh, stood them, kept them different from everyone else, you know. And it almost was synonymous with the uh, the old 80s and early 90s WWF wrestling, you know? So you have Owen versus Brett, and uh, the Hart family's at ringside. You know, you can see Bruce there. British Bulldog, he's made his way back. He's there with his wife. Stu and Helen are there. Jim Neidhart's there. Uh, After Brett makes his way down to ringside, if you watch, he gives his glasses to 
a kid that Ross Hart is holding. I think it's Ross Hart. So you're watching this and you see the kid and it's like, well, the kid's maybe one or two years old. And then 13 years later at Canadian Stampede, you saw Teddy Hart celebrating in the ring with the Hart family. So I don't know if it's true. Uh, maybe a good friend Wes out in BC or out West. I think it's BC. Yes, it's BC. You know, he's very familiar with the, the Hart lineage. Maybe he'll be able to listen and confirm that it is Teddy Hart that was being held back in 1994. But if it's not, I'm just going to start the rumor that it was anyways. So, you know, Brett giving his glasses to a young Teddy Hart. There we go. So now this was the rematch from WrestleMania 10. And that is, if you listen to the WrestleMania show, that was one of my favorite WrestleMania matches. I love that match. The fact that Owen got the win, I, I mean, it made him a credible contender. And then leading into this match at SummerSlam, you bought that Owen had a chance, you know, and that's something you always want from your title programs, your main event programs. You know, you want to want to think that the cha- the challenger, he can actually go in and win the match. So with this match, one thing that always stood out was Owen's over-exaggerated dives, whether it's the dives to get to the cage first, you know, diving towards the cage door, Brett pulling him back. Then you'd see Brett crawl to the cage door and Owen diving on top of him to stop. There was countless ones of those. There was a span of a few minutes where they're just going back and forth doing that. So there was that. And then even it, it seemed like a rib at the time, just the way he did it was like Brett's down and Owen jumps and dives to grab onto the cage. It's like, man, you could have just climbed up it just as fast you know but he did it and it popped a chuckle out of me and I'm sure like people watching in the back got a laugh out of it too especially because it was Owen so now there was one huge part or I won't say huge part it was a huge move Owen had tried to escape out of the cage Brett follows up after him and they're battling on the corner of the cage and Brett got him up hit a superplex off the top of the cage I mean, 1994, that's a huge move. And even today, you don't see that too often. So that definitely really stood out to me. By the time it was said and done, this match, it clocked in at almost 30 minutes or around 30 minutes, but the time went by so fast watching it. So it really is a testament to how well they dragged you, or not dragged you, but you know, kept your attention throughout a 30-minute mid-90s cage match. It wasn't like there was tons and tons of huge spots or you know things to keep you like to always grab your attention but they did enough storyline wise that you were always always interested to what was going to happen next so the ending of this one it comes when both of them are making their way up over the cage and Owen's legs sort of get caught up in the cage and he's dangling from there as he's dangling Brett jumps down retains the WWF championship Post-match, there's tons of shenanigans. Neidhart was at ringside, and he was heel at this time. So he clocks Davy Boy, and Davy Boy and Diana go over the over the railing. He makes his way into the ring, or he drags Brett in there, him and Owen. They lock the cage in there, beating on Brett. And you see Bulldog and Bruce and Ross, and I'm sure there was another heart that they were all trying to get into the ring to rescue Brett. They eventually, Bulldog eventually makes his way in there. After him and Owen are, you know, going at it on the top for a bit. So they make their way in. Owen and Neidhart escape. And, you know, it was just, it was a fun little match. I mean, yeah, like the fact that it clocked in 30 minutes just blew my mind. I figured I'd have more 
time to watch other stuff and by the time it was done my workout was basically done but it was still fun nonetheless number nine we are going back to 2013 we are watching daniel bryan oh, we are watching i rewatched for this but it was daniel bryan versus john cena for the wwf championship so cena was champ at the time and the lead up to this was basically he got to pick his opponent for SummerSlam, and he ended up picking daniel bryan you know there was the storyline why storyline you know to get a different challenger in there to take Brian out. You know, he had McMahon wanting to shave his beard to make him more presentable, all that kind of stuff. So that was the the announced match. Yeah, Triple H as the special referee. And for the most part, Triple H was absolutely invisible for the match, you know, like he was a, a referee, but he, you would forget that it was him there or that he was even a, a name to be the referee. So the one of the things that I always remembered for this match was the lead up to it and the part where Brian said that, you know, some wrestlers assign respect and different cultures would, they would slap you if they respected you, but he wasn't going to slap Cena because he didn't respect him. I think that's how it played out. So that was one thing that always stood out to me. And I thought, you know, it played out very well storyline wise so this match i mean there is reversal after reversal and it really showed i mean brian was able to put on daniel brian was able to put on an absolute clinic wrestling wise and the crowd was as split as could be you know you had daniel brian who's over huge with everyone and then you had john cena who was over with all of the kids i mean the kids are split between brian and cena but for cena the adults would always boom you know you would always get the you suck and all that sort of stuff cena sucks and that sort of thing so now the last few minutes of this match without a doubt i think feel like a a new japan g1 style match you know just the feel to it i think it's very evident that was stuff that was being watched and sort of Wanted, they want to, ref, you know, their match to reflect that. So Cena locks in an STF lock, locks in an STF lock. Uh, Brian reverses it to a yes lock, you know, more of that sort of thing, the chain wrestling. The ending came where Brian hits Cena with a, uh, a running knee, like the Kenta style knee. He gets the win, wins the championship. After this match, you got the post-match shenanigans where... Orton, he he had won money in the bank, so he starts making his way out. And he's going to cash in. Triple H low blows Brian or whatever, hits a pedigree. Orton cashes in, beats Daniel Bryan, becomes champion. So Bryan had like a seven-second reign. I mean, the post-match shit I absolutely hated because at the time, all you wanted was to see Bryan succeed. You get that, and then they took it away from you right away. And... It just gets frustrating because that was seemed to be the same sort of thing over and over where you want to see your favorite wrestler get the win and they would always take it away from you or delay it longer and longer after a while you lose interest or you become uninvested in it and it doesn't have the same payoff or feel and i think that's one thing that some wrestling companies now at least they don't tease you like that they set the storyline up 
and you get the payoff. So that's a, a nice change from some places where others it's just the same old shit. So number eight, we are going back to 2002. We have the WWF Undisputed Champion, The Rock, facing off with Brock Lesnar. So leading up to this, Lesnar had won King of the Ring. And there was the whole spiel with him and Austin where Austin walked away. Lesnar wins King of the Ring. The build-up to this was Lesnar had attacked Hogan, who him and Rock, they had a match against the Un-Americans, I think it was. So Lesnar attacks Hogan. This leads up to a match at on SmackDown. Lesnar bloodies and beats down Hogan, get locks in the uh, a bear hug, and Hogan passes out. So Lesnar wins. And Lesnar should really look out because, I mean, Hogan's got to get his win back, brother, one way or another. He's going to get that win, so I'm sure the time's coming. This this ends up leading to, you know, for the, it fuels the flame even more for Brock versus Rock at SummerSlam. From the beginning of the match, the crowd's pretty split where people are into the Rock because, you know, he's new, he's, you know, the next big thing, no pun intended, but then they still love The Rock. I mean, The Rock coming off the WrestleMania match with Hogan where, you know, Hogan becomes a, a face again and the crowd was still into Rock. They still loved him. And then, all right, here's this big monster who the crowd is getting more and more into. So, like I said, the crowd is split. One thing that was huge in this match was uh, Heyman took a rock bottom through the announce table, which... I can't imagine that happening now. I mean, it was almost 20 years ago, so he is a little bit younger. But So that was huge. As the match is going on, you can hear the crowd starting to turn on The Rock more and more. It's completely, it's evident, you know, at a certain point, you notice it. And at that point, you almost realize that the crowd's turning on The Rock. This is almost a changing of the guard. And it really was when you look at the grand, grand scheme of things. Brock is about to become champion. The crowd is into him. He's going to become the figure piece for WWF going forward. And I mean, he was for a few years and then ended up leaving. But he was the new face at that point, you know. So it is very noticeable during this match. So Brock ends up winning with a uh, with the F5. I forget what happened, what goes on post-match or post-storyline between these two. I know that uh, I think Brock, this leads to his run on as the SmackDown champion, if I'm not mistaken. But at the time, I mean, this seemed like a huge match. And even re-watching it, it still has a big fight feel to it. I do wonder if, you know, one day we might actually get a rematch for these two because it's something that still could probably sell. You know, I know... I'm one to always talk about not having part-timers back, but if you want to have the part-timers back in a match where it's between two of them and not taking the space of a full-timer, then that's fine. I don't want to see a part-timer and full-timer. Give me two part-timers with a storyline. Okay, part-timer and full-timer, I don't want that. But yeah, so this was still a very good match upon rewatch. It's still a lot of fun. Definitely worth checking out. So number seven on the list from SummerSlam 2000, we're talking the TLC match. You had the Dudleys, you had Edge and Christian, and you had the Hardy Boys. We all know what happens in a TLC match, and it is just a spectacle. It's a car crash. 
there are huge huge bumps left and right you going into a TLC match you know exactly what's going to happen it's just going to be mayhem there's going to be bodies and limbs broken tables chairs that are bent out of shape ladders that are broken and that's exactly what this match had I mean looking back at it now it's probably not the best idea for these style matches just with the uh, the injuries that can happen the concussion issues all that sort of stuff and safety is the most important part pardon me safety is important so I mean looking back at it it's it's very everyone's very lucky that they're still okay nowadays you know it's a there were some incredible spots in this one because I mean this was the first ever TLC match they had ladder matches leading up to it they had table matches all that sort of stuff where everything was involved but this was the first you know TLC match at one point you know there was the 20-foot ladder on the outside of the ring Bubba Ray Dudley's on a table outside Jeff climbs up off the ladder Bubba moves right through a table I mean how how like a move like that and he's still walking afterwards just blows my mind so there's that i mean they had four tables or yeah four tables and they were double stacked on the outside of the ring bub is climbing up to grab the titles edge and christian dump him from the ladder through the four tables just a, an absolute car wreck there was that i mean at one point matt hardy's climbing up the ladder to uh get the uh, get the titles and you forget about some of the tables set up he's in the middle of the ring climbing the ladder and there's two tables on the outside and i can't remember who it was that dumped him from the ladder but you're watching the replay and his head comes so close to hitting the uh the side dasher board that an inch closer and he's done for you know so it's like little things like that where they really they really come close to some big time serious injuries. And that's one that you really kind of watch and you're like, fuck is, you know, they're putting their lives on the line. And is it worth it to, for this, you know, the risk. But so after that, I mean, Lita had already made her way out to ringside and she had gotten involved, you know, dumping edge and Christian off the ladder. They crotched themselves on the top rope. So she's checking on Mata after he gets dumped through and edge hit, a huge spear on her where like she almost bangs her head on a broken ladder that's outside like it was vicious you know you're you're concerned for her like if she was fine it was an incredible sell job on that but just vicious so the end comes jeff is hanging from the title belts he the ladder got knocked away ed and christian grabbed the ladders they're basically throwing it up there to knock him down he falls how he never broke a, an ankle or tore up his ligaments and his ankle, I, I will never know, especially between this and another match on this list. But just, it blows my mind. You watch him fall and it just, it makes you cringe at the thought of it. So he falls off the, uh, off the, you know, thing to hold the belts. Edge and Christian grab the ladders, grab the, set it up, grab the titles. They win. I mean, like every TLC match, this one was no different. Just an absolute spectacle. Number six, we're going back to 1991 SummerSlam. Mr. Perfect, the Intercontinental Champion versus Bret Hart. So 
I think everyone is familiar with this match, and I could go on and on relaying, you know, giving a play-by-play of the match, but it is just a, an absolutely fantastic match with some really great wrestling. It's really a testament to how good both Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart were. They, It's a match that I think everyone looks back on as one of the best matches of the early 90s, especially in WWF in New York. It's one fans will always remember as a classic, and I think even to this day it still holds up. I mean, it does. It's When I rewatched it, I still enjoyed it just as much as I did back then, you know? So this match, it, it was definitely, definitely a coming out party for Brett as a single star, you know? This this match it propelled him to uh, the King of the Ring match that he, King of the Ring tournament that he won like a month later. Um, a year later, he was basically WWF champion. I think a year and a few days, you know, he won it from Ric Flair and Saskatoon. But this was the match. This was his uh, his coming out party, so to say. And the, uh, I mean, Brett ends up getting the win with the sharpshooter. He, ta- uh, Mr. Perfect taps out. But uh, one thing that I always stood out to me was they had this match in, I think, two years later at the 93 King of the Ring. Uh, Brett, uh, Brett and Mr. Perfect had the rematch. And, I mean, that match, it's still... I still look back at that one just as fondly as the uh, the SummerSlam match between the two. And I mean, I should clarify, the 91 King of the Ring, that one wasn't televised. It was done at like a house show or whatever, so it, it doesn't have the same sort of feel as the 93 one. But it's, it's just, you know, one of those things where it was a step where, you know, they saw what they had in Brett and they were giving him more. They were giving him a bigger shot, a bigger chance, more accolades, that sort of thing. So, I mean, he won the 91 King of the Ring, ended up winning 93 as well. 93 definitely helped push him either even further into that superstar stratosphere. So, needless to say, if you're looking for a classic match to go back, give a rewatch, something from the early 90s I mean there's a lot of garbage out there but this one definitely it holds the test of time it's still a lot of fun and it's still just a a classic match between two incredible technical wrestlers so that's 10 through 5 or is that 5 10 through 6 I will give a uh, an honorable mention to uh, one match that I still really liked but it didn't make the cut which was from the 1990 SummerSlam between Mr. Perfect, actually, and Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich. Uh, I think what I liked about this match and what stood out to me was it was, you had heard so much about Kerry Von Erich, you know, with uh, world-class championship wrestling, his feuds with Ric Flair, with Jerry Lawler. I mean, I remember reading the PWI magazines and you're seeing all the stuff about Kerry Von Erich. So as soon as he makes his way to WWF finally it's like awesome you know you've heard about this guy you're finally getting to see him in action and you know as a kid growing up it's it's exciting to see that sort of thing so I I still really liked it and I mean I was happy that he 
was able to become Intercontinental Champion and get that opportunity. So that one was definitely uh, an honorable mention for myself. So now we're kicking off the uh, the top half. We're doing five through one. Number five, we're, we are going back to SummerSlam 2001. We got a ladder match here between Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy for the Hardcore Championship. So, I mean, leading up to this, you, I mean, in, two, in 2000, we had the TLC matches. But at this point, you really didn't get tons of singles matches for ladder matches. And I mean, that's understandable. You have the tag team matches or the triple threats and it's you have more guys you have more you're able to do more stuff with all of them so to have a singles match a singles ladder match then and it's still as good as this one was really says something for the wrestlers involved with it uh van dam had just joined up with uh wwf a few months earlier he was you know a big part of the invasion angle and this was something that he was really coming into his own and it it became noticeable the more and more of you know he was a part of the company especially those early months he was someone who stood out as a part of the alliance and definitely you felt like they really had something special with him and you're you're almost waiting for him to break through you're hoping for him to get uh, recognized and for him to get that chance i think uh, a month or two later, he was involved in a triple threat match for the uh, one of the world championships. If I'm not mistaken, I thought it was him, Kurt Angle, and Austin. But I'm drawing a blank. I mean, that was almost 20 years ago, so I could be talking out my ass. I'm going to go back and look afterwards. But I know that on commentary, they definitely had Heyman pumping, his, pumping Van Damme's tires huge, and it definitely paid off. And I think... Even with, uh, you know, the fans becoming more familiar with him, like he was still fairly new to the fans, but they got behind him quickly. You have Heyman, who's on commentary, hyping this guy up as like, you know what? He is a big deal. He's huge. He's, you know, he is the whole fucking show. And they see this, they see the moveset, his high flying, his uh, acrobatic you know, his kicks, all that sort of stuff. And they're getting invested. They're, they're loving it. And I mean, I know, you know, my first introduction to Van Damme was you would just like with ECW, I would hear about stuff growing up and because it wasn't on TV here, all you're doing is reading the results on websites. And so I was familiar with him, but I'd never seen him wrestle. And then I remember um, you know, being given the tape of Living Dangerously 99 and you see him face off with Jerry Lynn and he just blows you away. This guy's incredible. And there's nobody like him. And even to this day, I mean, there's guys who are similar, but I think he was definitely, definitely one of a kind. Also, no pun intended. So the fans gravitate towards Van Damme. And I mean, this match had a lot of... uh a lot of fun reversals with the ladder, different uses of it. You know, the weight was getting uh, thrown up into body parts or they were using it as a weapon in different ways that I think definitely stood out. So that was a lot of fun. It it differentiates itself with that compared to other singles ladder matches. There weren't tons at that time to compare it to, like I said, but I think even nowadays, you notice if you go back and watch that, it, it definitely 
it still holds up. And I think that there's a lot of ones that don't. So that's a testament, like I said, to these two as well. So Van Dam ends up getting the win. He wins the Hardcore Championship. That's his first championship in WWF. But hey, many more afterwards, as we all come to find out. Number four, we're going back to SummerSlam 1997, Heart and Soul. And uh, I rewatched this one the other morning and I hadn't rewatched this since I originally watched it and you know what it's it's a lot of fun I mean 97 was a good uh, a good period with you know the Bret Hart sort of storyline um, and I think it was one that it really allowed him to show different sides to himself so in this match you know Bret comes out first you know, he's the challenger. And what I think kind of plays in nicely, like as another layer to the storyline, was Hart's out first, but then the special referee, Shawn Michaels, he's out after Hart. Which kind of, it's like, well, why isn't Shawn out first, you know? Brett's the wrestler, Shawn's the official, so you think, okay. So it just kind of adds another layer to Brett's dislike to Shawn. So... From the get-go with this match, you can see the seeds planting for future feuds because you had, you know, you have Breton Taker in the match right now. You have the interactions between Brett and Sean throughout who already don't like each other. That's been played up in storyline and on TV leading up to this. And then you also have Sean trying to be the official, getting an Undertaker's face about that. And it's like it's building up to the future storyline between them because they had their two matches at ground zero and then hell in a cell so this match you know you get paul bearer out there he's being a part of the uh the Kane is still alive storyline and they even reference that on commentary so he comes out gets taken out by uh undertaker later on you have pillman and brian pillman and owen hart come out to help out with um brett and you're watching this and it clicked while I was watching and I'm like, they bring Owen Hart out there and a, like what, a half hour earlier he was involved in the match with Steve Austin. He almost paralyzes Austin, yet they're still dragging him out there to do this, you know, angle. And it's like, you know, you hear about the kind of person Owen was and it must have just been, it must have been rough for him to still have to do that when he's got so much going on in his head just with his match with Austin, you know, like Austin was almost paralyzed. So I'm sure that's weighing on Owen's shoulders and you see him get dragged out to do this. And you're like, what the fuck? So now we're all familiar with Brett's figure four around the ring post. And in this match, we actually saw a sharpshooter around the ring post. It wasn't locked in, you know, perfectly, but it's still, it said it led to, the closing angle, which I really liked and really enjoyed. So, Brett has the sharpshooter locked on uh, around the ring post. Sean is on the outside. He's counting, uh, you know, the five count to break it up. You know, he gets to four or whatever. Undertaker powers out and kind of shoves Brett off with his legs. Brett falls from the ring, ring apron, knocks Sean down. So, Sean's out. He's selling a knee injury. Brett grabs the chair and just absolutely waffles Taker with the chair shot. So he's down. 
Brett pins him. Then you see Sean get into the ring. One, two, kicks out. And after this, you know, Sean gets up. He sees the chair because it wasn't the chair wasn't thrown right out of the ringside. It was just in the corner. So he sees the chair and he starts confronting Brett about it. At this point, you know, they're getting more involved arguing and stuff. Sean, he's yapping at Brett. And then all of a sudden you see Brett just spit on him and just hawks a loogie right on his face. So Sean's pissed. He winds up, grabs with the chair, goes to hit Brett. Brett moves, clocks Taker. Taker's down. Brett pins him. Sean has to count the three. So you see him. He hops over. He's counting one. And with each count on his way back up, he's looking at Brett like he has to do it. You know, he's got to be impartial. One, two, three. So ends up Brett ends up winning the title after Sean misses the chair shot. This furthers the Shawn Michaels Undertaker feud. And there was other little things during the match, you know, like Shawn had kicked Owen and Pillman out of the ringside while Undertaker had a pin, you know, and he's not paying attention, so he can't count three even though Taker had him. So there was little things like that, but, you know, that ending definitely further pushed the Sean Taker feud and I mean it's still a fun match to go back and rewatch especially knowing the whole context and how things play out so number three we're doing 2013 SummerSlam Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk now this is an absolutely incredible match I mean going in you know that these two will have a good match but I think nobody knew just how well this match would come across the the match was filled nonstop with just counters and reversals and they were both able to show their wrestling and grappling skills you know like because both have participated in MMA both have trained in all kinds of different stuff whether it's jujitsu wrestling you know submission work so for them to relay that into a wrestling match you know it definitely added another layer and another level to the match itself there was one point where Punk had Lesnar up for a GTS. And this this part just, it, it was so incredible and it definitely stands out. So Punk has him up for a GTS. Lesnar escapes. After he escapes, he gets Punk in a Kimura, gets him down on the ground. After the Kimura, he, he has a locked on. Punk counters that, goes from armbar to a triangle. So he's got Lesnar locked in a, uh, a triangle. His legs wrapped around his arm and neck. Lesnar lifts Punk up, drops him down with like the old Rampage Jackson powerbomb style. So hits a powerbomb. Punk holds on to the triangle. Lesnar's close to tapping. Picks him up again. He has him up for a powerbomb. Delivers a running powerbomb. That couple of minutes there was just absolutely... It was just fantastic, you know. It was incredible work. The reversals, the the way they were able to mix the uh, the grappling into it, I thought it was just fantastic. So, I mean, they counter finishers back and forth. Lesnar ends up uh, two chair shots on Punk, hits an F five. He gets the win. Punk was only with WWF for a few months more after this, if I'm not mistaken, because I think he left in 2014 after Royal Rumble. So, I mean, he was over huge during his championship reign. After this this match, it seemed like he was over 
even more than that, you know, like the crowd was still invested and still loving him, even though he was on the losing end of everything. So that definitely speaks a lot to the kind of, you know, how much people love CM Punk. So number two, there aren't tons of more recent matches on this list, but this is one. I think it's only, you know, five years ago. So number two is 2016, AJ Styles versus John Cena. I'd pop this one on, and one thing that stood out to me right away was the commentary, because Moro Ronello was on it, and I forgot Moro had a stint on the SmackDown announcing. So he was on there with JBL and David Otunga. I think David Otunga is kind of underrated because he's very good on, he was very good on this. I know he doesn't get a lot of love or appreciation, but he still did a very good job. So the crowd for this is absolutely hot. They were on fire for this. AJ had come into the promotion a few months earlier at Royal Rumble, so they're invested in him. He had been associated with the bullet or with the club, so you know, his friends from the Bullet Club, Gallows and Anderson. Fans are into that. And just the fans just overall, they just like AJ, you know, they they're he's someone new, his moveset is incredible. And it's different, so that alone, I think, people are into. So, there were there were near falls early, and you almost thought it was going to be a, a shorter match with the style they were going. One thing that I loved was Styles. He had a Styles clash on Cena. Cena kicks out. But I think because you don't see them that often, that it's, you know, when you do see it, you're like, oh, fuck yeah, you know, because you, you know how powerful of a finishing move it is, so... There's a Styles Clash, kick out. Cena had him up for the attitude adjustment. Styles kicks out. Styles actually got Cena up. It was a a torture rack and then spun him out into a a powerbomb, which looked really, really good. So there was that. And then at one point, Cena hit a code red on Styles. And I think just the fact that, you know, it's John Cena, he's got his five moves, you know, the crowd nonstop will chant you can't wrestle and all of that. And you see him kick out a five move or uh, kick out a code red like that. And it's just out of nowhere. It's just like, okay, you know what? Yeah. Cena can wrestle. He's not as cookie cutter as everyone says. So he can put on an entertaining match. So that definitely stood out. Um, Styles had Cena up and he hit a, an Oshiguroshi and so Moro's announcing, and you know how Moro is. He's very knowledgeable about everything, and he also loves his pop culture references. And I like Moro. I think he's a great announcer, and I like when he's calling matches. So the he goes for an Oshigoroshi, and Moro is about to explain the move. You know, he calls it, and he's like about to explain it, and then JBL cuts him off right there. And he's... I don't know if it was someone who got into his headset or what, but instead of allowing Moro to, you know, talk about the move, you hear him say, you know, oh, beat up John Cena or whatever AJ was going on about at that time, you know, like, oh, they're beating up John Cena, this and that. And it's just like, well, you know what? I don't need that. I want to hear about the move. Let give an explanation, you know, what it's called, where, who else has used it that isn't around, you know? And I, I know that's one thing that AEW, they'll, give explanations about stuff like Excalibur is very knowledgeable and he'll explain stuff and I like that so I'm re-watching this and he cuts him off and I'm just like oh it's just 
sad, you know, especially when you hear about all the shit that Moro had to deal with, with the bullying and all that crap. So I, I can only imagine what it was like for him, you know, so to hear that and it's just it's deflating as a fan who's you know wants to learn and you know is into that sort of thing so styles he hits another styles clash the springboard owl gets the win and i mean this is just an all-around incredible match it's a lot of fun and i know since then there has been tons to write home about but i think styles and cena they definitely work incredibly well together and this match it it holds up it's a very entertaining match and i think it's one that definitely doesn't get a lot of love doesn't get a lot of appreciation it kind of just gets forgotten about so if you have time definitely check that one out and let me know your thoughts on that one i want to know if you think it still holds up if you're a fan of it or just uh, your overall thoughts on the feud in general so the number one match on the Grainmaker wrestling podcast top 10 SummerSlam favorite matches 2014 we're doing brock lesnar versus the wwe champion john cena this match is one of my all-time favorite matches throughout every promotion all throughout all the years i love this match it's one i can go back and rewatch over and over and i mean i do i'll watch it a couple times throughout the year Rewatching it for this i mean i still loved it watching it now than just as i did you know seven years ago so someone when talking about this matchup they refer to it as the death of superman and i think that is the perfect sort of uh tagline for this match because when you watch it everyone always would you know refer to cena as superman so or a superman-esque and in this match i mean it starts off you know cena a house of fire to start you know trying to get the early advantage and we're only, you know, not even a minute in and Lesnar gets him up and hits an F5. And at that point, the crowd just all of a sudden does the holy shit, you know, they're on their feet. It's only a two count, but still they're they're watching something that only a minute in and it's different than what they've come to expect with Cena matches. The look on Lesnar's face after the kickout, where he's just got that big grin, big shit-eating grin on his face, and Heyman's, you know, smiling ear to ear too. It, it's almost, uh, you know, a, a telltale of what's more to come throughout the match. You know, so we all know if you're familiar with New York at all, this match and what it entails. It's basically Lesnar suplexing Cena for. 17 minutes i i don't know just how many suplexes he lands in there it's got to be about you know anywhere from you know 18 to 24 i'll say but it's one after another and i mean you have german suplexes and it's the belly to belly belly to back all all kinds and even while this is all going on you have lesnar just talking incredible amounts of shit to Cena you know just trash talking him non-stop re-watching it this was I had forgotten about it but this was the match where there was uh you know the let's go Cena kit where he was the only person chanting let's go Cena it's just a, just a little squeaky voice and the match is going on and all you hear is the let's go Cena and 
it's it stood out at the time and even now you know like you kind of laugh to yourself hearing it because he's just like every other you know younger fan deeply invested in cena so you hear that and it just kind of makes you smile you know just how much younger fans love cena so the crowd you know for the most part is firmly behind lesnar at one point cena he counters an f5 hits an attitude adjustment i think at this point it was just like even though lesnar's been in control you're still kind of you still think that okay here's where cena is going to come back now he's going to get his come this is going to be a turning of the tides he's coming back now he's going to get his win because it's what we're all used to so he counters it lesnar kicks out and after that lesnar still goes on the offense so it's you almost do a okay hold on a minute you're not used to this you know you're used to cena getting the heat afterwards and leading to eventual win after that i mean you're seeing more german suplexes just i think that he hit like seven in a row at one point so cena ends up going back to uh locks in an stf lesnar overpowers out of it just ground and pound on cena gets him up hits an f5 gets the win wins the championship i leading up to the match i don't think anyone expected you know cena to be beaten this i don't want to say easily because it's not like it was an easy fight but i don't think anyone expected to see lesnar come across this strong in the match you know you i think you expected more of a 50 50 booking style in the match but lesnar just overpowered him just absolutely destroyed him all throughout and i think that's one of the reasons why i like this match so much is that it's different than normal cena main event matches you know it's even different than the extreme rules match that they had uh, a couple years earlier when lesnar returned so all those little things it just made it you know special and like i said it, it's one of my all-time favorite matches i love it it's a guilty pleasure of mine i know that there might be better ones work rate wise or whatever but this one just always stood out to me and it's you know it's just a all-around fun match to watch so that was my top 10 favorite SummerSlam matches i don't know what i'm going to do if i'm going to actually do a SummerSlam preview or not it's all going to it'll all depend coming back from holidays what i have lined up what's going on wrestling wise and what i can bring to all of you the listeners so i still wanted to give something just to hype up SummerSlam because it is a big summertime event and it can be a lot of fun you know so i mean the card is slowly playing out now and i don't know where they're going to go with some of the feuds leading up to it or matches but you had a few of the main feuds already and it'll be interesting to see exactly where they go from here so thank you so much for listening i say it every time i'll say it again i truly appreciate it so thank you for checking out the grain maker wrestling podcast you can find me on twitter at grain maker pod hit me up on there you know shoot me a follow let's talk some wrestling give me your top 10 favorite SummerSlam matches i would love to hear them and let's uh let's compare lists so you can find me on twitter email grainmakerpodcast at gmail.com you can find me there on either of the platforms 
if there's a topic you want me to go on about or a guest you would like me to have on to talk wrestling, definitely let me know. I will do my best to get them on the show. I'm up on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. If you could rate or review, share it to someone you think might enjoy the podcast, I would truly appreciate that. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Have a good one.